Amen. Would you join me for a prayer? Lord, we thank you so much for this beautiful Easter day. We thank you for the truth of the gospel that three days later you did indeed rise from the dead. And today we gather to celebrate that. Would you open our hearts, our ears, and our minds that we might hear you today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our scripture for today is the end of the John Gospel that we've been reading throughout the service. So we will finish with verses 14 through 18 from the Gospel of John. When Mary had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabunai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. There was this guy, Amir who went to a basketball game. Someone comes up to him in the middle and informs him that his seat was selected to participate in the halftime, half-court shot. He gets to take one shot, blindfolded, for $500,000. Amir obviously agrees. Looking like a fool is no problem for a chance at a half million dollars. <laughs> So he's waiting in the locker room until the assistant tells him it's time. They jog out to half court where the assistant ties on a blindfold and the announcer explains the rules. Someone hands him the ball. He's trying to see where the hoop is, but he can't see anything. He points vaguely in the direction that he remembers it being, and he lobs the ball, and the crowd begins screaming. Going nuts, jumping up and down, he rips the blindfold off and he starts sprinting around the court as the announcer is yelling, he made it! He made it! The team mascot comes up carrying one of those giant checks. The mascot walks up to him and Amir reaches for the check. And then the mascot pulls off his head to reveal Amir's friend, Streeter. At that point, Amir collapses on the floor because Amir and Streeter have been in a prank war for over a year. And in that moment, Amir knows it was all a fake. Streeter arranged to have the crowd cheer when Amir missed the shot by 30 feet, and he arranged for the announcer to yell, he made it, he made it, and he arranged to walk out with a giant check so he can see his friend go from thinking he just won $500,000 to knowing he just looked like a fool. When you see the truth, it's jarring. 
A few months later, Streeter gets a voucher for a free skydiving trip, which he thought was a fake. So he called the company and was told it's a promotional they do every year. So he went, he signed the, if you die, neither you or your children will get anything out of us, even if it's our fault, sheet of paper. Put on the harness, over the shoulders, between the legs. He climbs into the twin prop plane with no door and begins circling up to 10,000 feet. As he reaches altitude, his lead skydiver clips their harnesses together. They waddle to the door and tip out into nothing. 10,000 feet, 9,000 feet, 7,000 feet, 4,000 feet. Pull the cord. The lead diver begins to yell, grabbing his hand and putting it on the tennis ball that releases the parachute. Streeter pulls on the cord, and the cord rips out. No chute deploys. The guy keeps yelling, pull the cord, pull the cord, and Streeter is yelling, I pulled it, I pulled it, waving around this useless piece of rope ground hurtling closer to them, the guide pulls the real parachute and a team on the ground unfurls a landing pad, which is a picture of Amir's face. <laughs> when you see the truth, it's jarring. Mary's morning must have been something like this prank war. She was on her way to anoint her friend's dead body with oils and spices. She expected to find a dead and broken body. And then the tomb's empty. No body, nothing. So she assumed that the body was stolen. She begins looking for a thief, an evil-looking soldier. But all she sees is a gardener lurking about. He asks her why she's crying, which should be obvious since she is standing in a graveyard. As soon as she blames the gardener for stealing the body, she realizes it's not the gardener. It's Jesus. The body she expected to find dead is talking to her. When you see the truth, it's jarring. This is Mary's morning. She knew what her day was going to be. She was going to anoint her Savior's body in spices and oil. She knew what her day was going to be until she didn't. Like assuming you've won $500,000, only to discover it's just Streeter. When you see the truth, it's jarring. When Mary sees that the guy she came to bury is alive, she is shocked. Jesus told everybody, didn't he? He told everybody that he was going to die and that on the third day he would be raised to life. He told everybody, surely they were listening. Surely they were. They might have been listening, but if I had to guess, they're listening in the same way a husband listens to his wife. She says, hey, hon. Will you please take the trash out and take the trash can to the road? She leaves to go buy groceries, pick up the kids. She gets back to see that the trash has been taken out, but the trash is not at the road. She finds him at the TV. Hun, were you listening? Yeah, I took the trash out. Oblivious. I think in the same way that husbands listen to their wives or wives listen to their husbands, 
about taking out the trash and loading the dishwasher. That must be how the disciples were listening to Jesus. I told you that I would be crucified and that on the third day I would rise from the dead. Weren't you listening? Of course we were listening. The disciples might stammer. Of course we were. Well, why isn't the trash at the road? Maybe, maybe if Mary had been one of the twelve, she wouldn't have gone to the tomb that morning to anoint Jesus' body. Maybe if Mary were one of the twelve, one of Jesus' disciples, she would have truly listened and she would have shown up to the tomb with pom-poms and streamers ready to celebrate the resurrection of her Lord. Maybe she wouldn't have been quite so shocked at the truth that Jesus was alive. Maybe the truth wouldn't have been quite so jarring. But it was. Because in the end, no one, none of the disciples, and certainly not Mary, no one was quite willing to believe in resurrection from the dead. So when Mary's day of mourning becomes discovering that the gardener is actually the guy she came to bury, she tries to grab him. Maybe because she's so glad to see him, or maybe after this series of events, she's just trying to grab anything to keep from falling over. Because the mascot's head came off, the parachute didn't open, the guy who was dead is the gardener. There's a plot twist. Jesus is alive. So she reaches out to try to hug him. And in that moment, Jesus says, don't hold on to me. that infuriating? If I see in the flesh Jesus raised from the dead, you better believe I'm reaching out to hug him. Isn't that infuriating? Maybe it's just because we're Southerners and you don't really say hello without a hug, but it's frustrating to hear Jesus tell Mary to let him go. Call it the post-resurrection teaching. Stop holding on to Jesus. You can see the risen Christ, but you can't cling to him. You can confess your faith in Jesus, but you cannot own him. You can always lean on him in times of sorrow, but you cannot control where he goes. Especially when our lives and the world feel uncertain, we like to know exactly where God is, that Jesus is just so right where we put him, right where we expect him to be. But when he's not, we do what Mary did. We cry out, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. When God isn't doing what we expected, isn't acting how we'd hoped Waiting where we thought we'd find him, we blame. They've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. We do it in times of grief. Someone dies far too young, leaves behind a family. We do it when the faithful suffer. God isn't where I need him to be. We do it when children die. God isn't where we expected him to be. We do it when we find ourselves doubting, doubting that we knew him, doubting that he's even there, doubting a character that is supposed to be compassionate and merciful, doubting the fact that God is real at all. It is then that we cry, they've taken away my Lord. 
I don't know where they've laid him. Someone has moved my Jesus. He's not where I expected him to be. The thing I knew, it's not the same. They have done something. And in that moment, we look around for a gardener to blame. Because frankly, blame is a whole lot easier than dealing with the fact that God is simply unpredictable. Following Jesus has to be more like watching a four-year-old. You thought they were fixated on that candy machine over there in the corner, so you turned around just for one second, but now they're standing in the fountain taking their clothes off. (laughs) God isn't usually hanging out where we last left him. There's a group of missionaries who went to Africa, bringing the good news of the gospel and planting churches. As they began to understand more of each other's language, one day the locals came up to them. Seemed a little nervous, a little concerned. And finally, one of them said, Pastor, what are you doing when you all stand around screaming at each other while he plays that screeching thing? After the locals tried an imitation, the pastor realized what they were talking about was a violin and voices singing hymns. All the locals heard was screaming and screeching. And the missionaries were left confused because Jesus wasn't where they thought he'd be, in hymns and a violin. Where the missionaries were so used to seeing God the way they understood music, they suddenly realized God had moved on them. So they had to follow God to where the locals were as they clapped and stomped and chanted music. Because God keeps moving. Sometimes I think we're so sure that we've made that half-court shot, only to rip off the blindfold and see Jesus' robe as he sprints out of the room. There's a pastor I know who gets the same phone call every year on Easter. Every Easter morning, his phone rings. He picks it up, and with no introduction, no hello, no good morning, no how are you, an old friend shouts on the other end of the line, Jesus is on the loose. Click. (laughs) Hangs up the phone. Jesus is on the loose. This is Mary's own proclamation, too. After Jesus tells her to stop hugging him, he gives Mary two different verbs. Go and tell. Go and tell the disciples what you have seen. Go and tell them that I am alive. Go and tell them that I have defeated sin and death. Go and tell. So Mary takes to the streets, running to the upper room where the disciples are hiding. When she gets there, she does not write the church's first creed, but instead preaches the church's first sermon. I have seen the Lord. We thought he was in a tomb, but he's not, because Jesus is on the loose. Earlier in the text, Peter and John had run to the tomb to find the missing body. I wonder... I wonder if Peter and John ran right past Jesus when they sprinted to the tomb. Were they so intent on getting where they thought Jesus was, so intent on finding his dead body exactly where they placed it, that they completely missed the gardener? How many times 
How many times have we been so intent on getting where we're going, even getting to where we are expecting God to be, that we have sprinted right past him? Amir thought he had won $500,000. Streeter thought he was plummeting to his own death. Mary thought she was going to find a dead body. Instead, she found a gardener who really was Jesus. When you see the truth, it's jarring. And I do mean truth in the sense that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth, but he is certainly not tame, and he certainly doesn't stay right where we've put him. Maybe, maybe today you're not sure if you've seen him. Maybe you've seen some things and it could have been God, or maybe it was just a gardener. Maybe you've seen some things and you struggle to see how Jesus can be true at all. Or maybe the things you've learned about God keep you from believing that he is actually good. Let me remind you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth with the power to defeat sin and death. But he doesn't stay where we put him. He often isn't where we expect him to be. Or maybe you've already seen him. You've seen how God can resurrect what's dead inside of you. You know that he has saved you. If that's the case, I've got two verbs for you. Go and tell. Go and tell others that you have seen the Lord. Go and tell others that Jesus is on the loose. He might not be where you expect him to be. He might not be doing what you thought he should do. We might not expect to find him when we grieve. We might not expect to find him when the world is so evil. We might not expect to find him when our lives or our health fall apart. We certainly don't expect to find him in a graveyard. But if we wait, like Mary, if we wait... Even if we wait with tears in our eyes, we will see him. We will see life where we expected only death. So go. Go and tell. Go and tell others that Jesus is on the loose. Go and tell. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen.